Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Um, kind of changing up the title a little bit because we did 10 on it's about all about Jesus. And so we're just going to change it up a little bit. It's because of Jesus. Is that okay? Because of Jesus. Our text is going to be from the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And our first verse is going to be verse 16. Notice because of Jesus. Let's read verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds will I write them. So first and foremost, because of Jesus, we have a covenant relationship with God. And what that means is we have an anchor for our soul. That we know that God will deal with us a certain way. That he has outlined for us in scripture. And that he's not going to act beyond the boundaries of the covenant. Otherwise, he lies. He says, when I make my covenant, I won't alter the word that's gone out of my mouth. So the Old Testament people had a covenant with God, but we've got a better covenant established upon better promises. But we also have an anchor for the soul that tells us because of Jesus and that covenant that God just can't do things outside of the covenant. Now, when I say can't, he has the ability to do it. He has the power to do it, but we know he won't do it. He can't do it because he becomes a liar if he does. You go back to Noah's day. He made a promise that he can't break. He can't break it. Now he has the power to break it, but he can't break it because he made a covenant. And so that's what we mean when we say that God is bound by his word to do what he said he would do. That anchors our soul. Number two, look at verse 17. In verse 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Do you remember under the old covenant there was a remembrance of sins. Sins are only covered over. They were still there. Because it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. They were only covered. But thanks be unto God because of the new covenant and because of Jesus. What you did yesterday is forgotten. It doesn't exist anymore. It's in the sea of forgetfulness any sin you and I have ever committed, praise God, is completely remitted, removed. And if there's a remembrance of it, it's not coming from God. It's coming from the enemy who's trying to paint you a picture of what you did yesterday. And your response should be, because of Jesus, that doesn't exist anymore. Can you say amen? Are you happy for that? Are you glad for that? We should all rejoice over that. Yes, I'll go further. Even the sins on the way to church this morning. They're gone. <laughs> if you ask. Next is verse 18. Look at verse 18. Now, where remission of these is, notice the word remission. There is no more offering for sin. There's no more offering. I grew up in a denomination that kind of taught me I still had to suffer for my sins. That there are certain things that I had to do because of my sin. Before I could ever make heaven, I had to suffer certain things. Or to have my sins that I committed while I'm here on earth forgiven, there were certain things I had to do. In other words, I had to add some works to it. Well, thanks be to God, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. That's why there's no temple today. That's why there's no red heifer today. That's why there's no high priest today on earth. That's why there's no Levitical priesthood today. That's why sacrifices have ceased to be offered. Because as long as they were being offered, there was a remembrance of sin all the time. But thanks be unto God because the perfect sacrifice was sacrificed and offered before the throne of God. It was sufficient to remit all sin. And thank God there's no more sacrifice necessary. There's nothing but a continuous fountain of blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins that cleanses us from all sin. 
Hallelujah. All we have to do is just say, I missed it, Lord, forgive me. It's that simple. You don't have to go get a bull or a turtle dove or anything like that. Look at the next one, verses 19 and 20. Have you got your shouting clothes on? Having therefore, and whenever there's a therefore, find out what it's there for. Having therefore, because of those first three statements, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. Oh, thank God, because of Jesus, we have access to the holiest place of all. How significant is that? Well, you remember since Adam was banished from the presence of God from the very beginning when he had sinned, man no longer had access to the presence of God. The only one that could access the presence of God would, be, would have been the high priest, and he had to access that presence with a sacrificial blood offering. He would go in there with blood, and that's the only way, and that could only occur once a year to cover up the sin of Israel for, for that year. That was it. And he would enter in with great precaution because if you got before the presence of God in a sinful state or without a proper sacrifice, you would die, which we've seen that happen in people's lives in the Old Testament. But praise God, because of Jesus, we can access the throne of God. The veil's been ripped in two, the doorway's been made for us, and because of him we could enter into the holiest place of all and present ourselves before the throne of God and just say, Abba, Father, it's good to talk with you. It's good to fellowship with you. And we're here just to honor you this morning. Aren't you glad that you have that kind of access? They didn't have that in the Old Testament, but you and I have it. Thank God for that. And then look at verse uh, 21. And having an high priest over the house of God. Thank God we have representation at the right hand of the majesty on high. His name is Jesus. Because of Jesus, we have a representative. He's our high priest. He's our mediator. He's our advocate. He is our intercessor. And he is our surety. That means his presence there, which is an eternal presence, one after the order of Melchizedek and not the Aaronic uh, Levitical priesthood because you see those priests they died didn't they but this one never dies this one lives on forever and this one is there to be our advocate and high priest to, to represent us before the father at the throne so that when we come to the father by him you know what he says father don't look at their works look at mine don't base it on their performance but base it on mine. So you and I can go before the throne and just say, no more sin to deal with. I'm washed in the blood of the lamb. I have access to your holiest presence. And I can just sit in your presence here and just breathe in, Father, your glory, the fragrance of your presence and power. And I know I belong here. I'm accepted here. But it's not based on what I've done. It's based on what Jesus did for me. Hallelujah. You know what that does? It does what the next verse says. Look at the next verse. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we come to the throne and how do we come with confidence? How do we come with a clear conscience? You realize every single day the enemy is trying to cloud our thinking and our minds with guilt, with condemnation, with a sense of inferiority or sin consciousness, reminding us of our yesterday's failures and faults and mistakes that we made along the way. You can't go to the throne boldly when you're thinking about those things. But when you say this, I know that because of Jesus, because of Jesus, I've been cleansed. Because of Jesus, I've been washed. You see, those Old Testament sacrifices could never take away sin consciousness. The guilt would always be there. The inferiority would always be there. The sense of self-worth would always be there. But you and I know that we go there based on what Jesus did and his performance so we can say, my conscience is clear. 
because it's not based on my performance. And if there's something I have to, to repent of, I repent. So, devil, as far as I'm concerned, you can't put that on me anymore because Jesus was perfect in every way. He was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. So, Father, thank you for mercy. You know what mercy means? Don't give me what I deserve. Give me what Jesus deserves. That's mercy. And also give me grace. Grace is his operational power. Thank God for the power of his operation that empowers us so that the next time we're confronted with a temptation, we can overcome it. Then we won't need the mercy, will we? Because we did the right thing. Praise God. Finally, we made verse 23. My main text. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For faithful is he that promised. This section of scripture is absolutely significant to our lives. Why? It's transitioning us from Old Testament covenant relationship to New Testament covenant relationship. Old Testament, they had the guilt, the sin, sin consciousness, the inferiority. Their sins were not for, remitted. They were only covered over and all that. There was no approach to the throne of God, only access by the high priest, etc. that we just talked about. But now that we've got a new covenant and based on better promises and better performance, the performance of Jesus, the better sacrifice, who's better than the blood of Abel, who's better than Abraham, who's better than the temple, who's better than the law and Moses, etc., who's better than any angel because of Jesus, he says, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and we can have mercy and we can have grace because it's not about us. It's about him. And he succeeded. And all we've got to do is just reap the benefits of our inheritance and just say, it belongs to me, praise God. It's mine. It's already been accomplished and achieved. Thanks be to God for that. So hold fast what? Your confession of feelings and emotions. Sense evidences. No, our confession of what? Faith. Faith is belief in something, isn't it? So our faith, profession of our faith or confession of our faith is in something other than ourselves. It's not based on me. Believe me, this was done, completed before I was born, before you were born or anybody else was born. This is the work of God. We're just entering into it. It's our inheritance because of what Jesus did. So now in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, I want you to see this Greek word. It's homologia. In the Greek, the word profession in that verse 23 is the same word that's used here. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Isn't that a good statement? Are you a partaker of the heavenly calling? I know there's a lot of earthly callings. There's a lot of things in this earth that are beckoning, beckoning us. Come, follow me. And they're not always good things, are they? But we have a heavenly calling. And the heavenly calling is coming from the throne of God saying, follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Walk with me. Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our what? Our profession, homologia, Christ Jesus. That word actually means in the Greek to say the same thing. He's the high priest of our saying the same thing. Well, what thing am I saying? I'm saying the same thing that God says about me because of Jesus. See, I have a choice to make. I'm either going to make a decision that I'm going to say who I am about myself and what I think and what I feel. Or I'm going to make a decision to say who I am based on the work of Jesus and who he said I am, not based on how I feel. Now, you know, God's word teaches us that we are his workmanship. And the word workmanship means that we are his masterpiece. Do you get up every day and just say, what a masterpiece? Do you do that? What a masterpiece when you look into the mirror. What a masterpiece. That, that sounds a little bit uh, like you're arrogant. No, no, no. I'm not looking at my flesh. I'm looking beyond my flesh. I'm looking at my spirit that Jesus took and recreated by the Holy Ghost. And what I'm seeing is who I am in Christ. And he said I'm his masterpiece. Well, who am I to, to really argue with God? 
If God says, I'm his six foot five masterpiece, I'm his six foot five masterpiece. Can you say amen? amen. Absolutely, praise God. But there's a catch to it. You look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. And this is what's been wrong with what has been termed the faith movement right here. Notice this. We having the same spirit of faith. We've got the same spirit of faith. God dealt to us all the measure of faith when we got saved. Every single one of us has the same measure of faith. According as it is written. Thank God we know what's been written. Aren't you glad that you have a Bible and you can discover what's been written? It's all written right here in the book. Thank God for that. But now notice the next part. I believed and therefore have I spoken. And we also believe and therefore speak. Notice how faith operates. I believe something, so I say something. I believe it, therefore I speak it. So the point is this. We want to make sure that we're not just parroting someone else. And we are speaking something we believe. A truth we have embraced. You say, what do you mean by parroting? Parroting, an example. And this comes from Brother Rick Renner. Wonderful man of God. Pastors in, in, in Russia. And a Greek scholar. He said he was staying at a home of a pastor one day because he was preaching in his church. At five o'clock in the morning, the phone was ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing. He says, I counted up to 30. Then it got up to 40. Rings. He says, I was getting beside myself. He says, finally at five o'clock in the morning, I jumped out of bed, put my clothes on and said, if nobody's going to answer that phone, I'm going to answer the phone because it's annoying me. So he walks over to the phone in the other room as it's ringing and ringing and ringing and he puts it to his ear. And when he puts the receiver to his ear, it's still ringing and ringing and ringing. And he stops and looks at the phone. It's still ringing, but now he hears it coming from over there. He looks over to his right and he sees the sheet over something, pulls the sheet off and there's an African parrot. Making a ringing sound over and over and over and over again. Well, that parrot could ring all at once, but it's not a phone. It's never going to be a phone. All it's doing is repeating something that it heard. Are you getting the point? See, you can hear someone teach something and say something, and you can start saying the same thing, but if it's not coming from in here, you're not really believing it or embracing it. Can you see that? You're just echoing or parroting someone else. And there's where we need to really watch what we're doing when it comes to faith. We hear people give their testimonies and their wonderful things that inspire faith, but they don't build faith. We need to understand it's only the word that brings faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But it's up to us to embrace the truth of God's word. Now, Proverbs 18, 21, I know you know the verse, but you know our tongue and our mouth can be our worst enemy or greatest ally. Look at the scripture. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So in other words, he is saying there's power in the words that we speak. And it's important that we learn that principle or that truth. So that we can see to it that we use our mouth as an ally and not as an enemy. The words we speak, we understand, can be spoken against us. They can be used to ignite within us some things that really contradict the will of God for our lives. So if we are going to cooperate with God and make our move, we need to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. And what does he work with? Faith-filled words. Let me ask you a question. How did you get saved? How did you get saved? You believed in your heart and said with your mouth, the Lord Jesus. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, with the mouth confession or profession is made unto salvation. So from the heart, you spoke with your mouth. You believe something in your heart and you spoke it with your mouth. 
And it created the greatest miracle that you've ever encountered in your life. You got born again. It brought you out of the realms of darkness and put you into the kingdom of God's dear love. It took you from being a child of the enemy to becoming the child of the living God that you are today. But that didn't happen because you went to church 10 times. It didn't happen because you gave of your finances to the work of the Lord. It didn't happen because you blessed somebody out there in society. It happened because you believed something from your heart to the point you said it with your mouth. You cooperated with God by saying, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe he was raised for my justification. I believe he's at the right hand of the Father right now after obtaining eternal redemption for me. Jesus, I deny myself to take up my cross and follow you. I believe you're my Savior and my Lord right now, and a miracle took place. So what did it involve? Your heart and your mouth. Well, you know, salvation is more than just being saved from sin. It involves everything that God has done for us. Now, you think about the 10 spies. You see, our mouth can be either hooked up to our feelings and emotions and sense evidences, or our mouth can be hooked up to what God says about us. It's up to us to make a decision what we're going to believe. Remember those 10 spies that went out to spy the land? They believed something. They strongly believed something. They believed from their heart. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Just as God said. It's a beautiful land. The grapes were so big. It took two individuals on a pole to carry them out of Canaan's land and bring them to the people for them to enjoy, right? So they believed it was the land that flows with milk and honey. But they also believed that there were giants in the land that were bigger and stronger than they were. There were walled cities, bigger and stronger, never been penetrated. They believed that. So they brought back word to their individual camps, tribes, as leaders, and told them, oh, it's just like God said, it's a beautiful place, but we're grasshoppers in the sight of the giants. The walls have never been penetrated. There is no possible way that we weaklings could get in there and take that land. It's impossible. And they caused the heart of the people to melt, the Bible says, and they refused to go into the promised land. So they believed something in their heart. They said something with their mouth. And God said, as you spoke in my ears, will be done to you. But then again, you have Joshua and Caleb. They saw the same city. They saw the same giants. They witnessed everything that the others witnessed, including the grapes and the land that flows with milk and honey. They came back to their tribes and said to their tribes, the enemy is bread for us. Their defense is departed from them. God said he would send his angels in and drive out all the ites that are in the land. And all those ites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the Amorites, and so on, they all represent an emotional condition that you and I will face as we trek through the wilderness of life. He says, God will drive them out. God said he would take care of them. So don't fear the people. Don't fear the walled cities. Let's go in and take the land. And for their declaration of faith, what happened? All the people picked up stones to stone them. Isn't it sad? Among your own people, when you speak faith in God, you want to be, they want to stone you. But if you agree with the circumstances and the negativity, they're on your side. Until God pronounced judgment on them and said, you know, because you said that, you're going to get exactly what you said. It's a battle of faith versus feelings and emotions. Either we believe what our feelings and emotions tell us, or we exalt God's word above them. Look in the book of Philemon. Sometimes I like to call it the book of filet mignon. Because <laughs> it's good eating. It's good eating. That the communication of your faith may become what? Effectual. How? By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in 
Christ Jesus. The word acknowledging comes from the Greek word epignosis. This is a word that means, it refers to something that you believe in after you've taken the time to study it, to meditate it, to research it for yourself. And you've come to a conclusion that yes, this is what God said, or this is what the Bible teaches. If you recall the verse in John 8, 31 and 32 to give us a better understanding of this, remember what Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him? No, they said they believed on him there, but by the end of that chapter, they wanted to stone him and kill him. If you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and ye shall know gnosko. comes from the same word epignosis. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, how does one learn to know the truth? By continuing to study the word, by continuing to research the word. By continuing to meditate the word. It doesn't just happen through osmosis. We don't put our Bible on the night sand. Go to bed and just say, come into my brain while I sleep tonight. I welcome you into my heart. It doesn't happen that way. It's because you become an astute student of the word of God. And you open up your Bible and you know that your feelings and your emotions going right into it are going to contradict what God says about you and what he says about me. My feelings and emotions are going to not line up with what the word of God says. That's just a fact. Because what God says is higher than what we say. What God thinks is higher than what we think. So I'm going to do my research. I'm going to study the Word of God. I'm going to find out why I am who the Word of God says I am. And I'm going to discover that truth for myself. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that, meditate it, put it in my heart, and make it mine and not what, well, so-and-so said. Because you see, it's not about what so-and-so said. It's about what you say. It's about what I say. It's about what I believe and you believe based on either feelings and emotions or based on the word of God. So it's important, it's imperative. Notice, I want you to see something I highlighted in your notes there. It's talking about experiential knowledge. You're experiencing something in reality. Notice it says, Paul instructs us to say what God says about us or all the good things in us, but our feelings and emotions, what's that next word? Can you agree with me on that? They demand that we bow to them. That we say what they say. I don't feel good today. I hurt. I'm never going to be able to make the payment. I don't have the resources. You feel down. Maybe depressed or whatever. Those feelings are not to be denied. They are genuine feelings that we all have in life. So faith does not say deny the feeling. Faith says, deny its right to control our lives. See, growing in God is growing in the word and growing in faith and growing in the accomplishments of Jesus. And there's where the true battle is. You know, we can quote verses like, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary one to the other so that we can't do the things that we really want to do. There's a warfare taking place between our flesh and our spirit. Our spirit has the life of God in it, but our flesh on the outside doesn't. And so there's a battle between the two, and our feelings and emotions want to say certain things about us. Now, when we talk about experience reality, we're talking about entering into the reality and experiencing it through what is called epignosis, which is becoming one with it. And again, here's where the problem lies with walking by faith. And I often use this as an illustration I don't think I can think of a better one. I might be able to think of a better one in just a moment. Electricity. You can be an electrical engineer and know everything there is that you think you know about electricity. You're book smart. And you know what? You could walk around with all this knowledge in your head and say, I know electricity. That's not what that word means. That means someone who doesn't know anything about it can stick their fingers in a socket and the electricity will go up their arm 
and their hair will go straight up in the air. Now they know electricity. You see the difference between the two? One's being book smart. That's not enough. It's when you know it. Now I've got a better one. You can look at a pizza. You can be the pizza maker. You can flip that thing up high and watch it go down and know exactly what temperature to cook it at. And there it is. It's a perfect specimen of a pizza. You can know all the ingredients so you're smart. See, you know it. That's not what that word means. Someone who doesn't know anything about making a pizza, like me, can come along and take a bite. I know that pizza. I know it. You see the difference between the two? So when you say, I know by his stripes I'm healed, you can be saying, I know it, book smart. Or you can be saying, I know it. I've experienced the reality. You see the difference of it? Now listen to this. I've talked to people that said, oh, I'm saved. Do you know Jesus? Yeah, I know Jesus. By the end of our conversation, you know what I find out? They know about Jesus. But they don't know Jesus. See, I grew up in a church for 24 years, and I knew about Jesus. And when someone came up to me and said, well, did you know he said you must be born again? I, what? I thought this is some kind of lunatic. I've been in church for 24 years, and I never heard that. Hmm. And he worked on me for a while because I was like cement, thoroughly mixed and well set. My head was just like cement. Actually said, how can I go back into my mother and be born again? Like Nicodemus. Well, it finally came to light that I knew that I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. I didn't have him in my heart. He wasn't my Savior. He wasn't my Lord. And I thank God for my father. My father wrote me out a sinner's prayer. Never heard of a sinner's prayer before. And he, well, he preached the book of Revelation to me until I started shaking a little bit. He gave me all the descriptive details of what takes place to people that are left behind. To make a long story short, after he left, I thought about it. I got out that sinner's prayer. I literally went into a prayer closet, got on my knees before God, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And guess what? When he did, that's when I knew him. That's when I knew him. 24 years I knew about him. But when I said yes to him and he came in, then I knew him. Praise God. So you see, look in the, back in that verse Philemon. We can know from a distance about something, but not experiencing, experience it in a heart. That the communication of your faith may become, what's that next word again? Effectual. Don't we want our faith to be effectual? And the word effectual actually means to be activated or to be energized. See, we can be overly critical about ourselves, about our lives, about our, let's say, talents, our abilities, our skill set, our intelligence. We can go on and on, our characteristics and all that, and really not like what we see. And I guarantee you, the majority of people on the planet don't feel great about themselves. Because in the fall of man, what happened to Adam and Eve? They cowered in fear before God because of being inferior now that they sinned. It says they were naked and ashamed. Now they were afraid. Now they were ashamed. Now all of a sudden they were exposed, were they not? And so we've been dealing with low self-esteem and low self-worth ever since the fall of man. And every single one of us, when we look in the mirror, we find our faults. We see our shortcomings, our failures, things about ourselves that we don't like. Maybe my nose is too big. Maybe my nose is too small. Maybe my feet are too big. Maybe my feet are too small. Try finding a seven and a half triple E shoe. 
I got a special order room. Okay, and so there's things about ourselves that we don't like. But I guarantee you the devil, the world, and the flesh will all point them out. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we can listen to all that information. We can think about all that information. We can talk about how inferior we are. We can talk about how bad we feel. We can talk about all the diagnoses of all the doctors that told us about all that's wrong with us and all that. And we can, even though it's a lower truth, it's a level of truth. We can embrace that. We can believe that. We can speak that and act upon that. Or we can make a decision that we're going to activate something and energize something in us that goes beyond all that. And this is what faith truly is all about. Example before we go further. We have a lot of automobiles out there in the parking lot. There's a lot of potential out there. And if you've got a full gas tank, there's potential to get you pretty far down the road somewhere. Okay? No doubt about it. But those cars aren't doing anything. They're just sitting there in the parking lot doing nothing with great potential in each one. It's not until someone with a key sits in the car and turns on the ignition and sparks the engine and the engine turns on and is activated. Now that potential is moving down the highway, going somewhere to happen, taking you somewhere that you want to go. True? Absolutely. Well, do you know sitting in this sanctuary, praise God, every single one of us is loaded with the things that God has placed in us in Christ Jesus. Every single one of us is loaded with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Paul told Philemon, stop letting your feelings and emotions make their demand upon your faith life, your heart, and your mouth. Start confessing the good things, acknowledging the good things that are in you in Christ Jesus. You start doing that instead of what your feelings and emotions are telling you. And once again, I want to refer to those words. Your feelings, my feelings, and emotions, they demand our attention, don't they? Absolutely. But God just says, I invite you, I instruct you. I'm encouraging you to start saying what good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. So it takes us to do what? To use the key to activate or ignite or energize the things that are in us in Christ Jesus by believing them from the heart and saying them with our mouths. And if we will do that, Praise God, there's a lot of great and mighty things that God can and want, wants to accomplish in and through our lives if we'll cooperate with him and do that. Well, what's the key, you say? The key is the word of God. What's the ignition, you say? That's the mouth and the tongue. And when we confess the word or proclaim the word, we ignite the starter, the engine, all of a sudden takes off. It begins to function and operate. And then what happens? Miracles happen. Miracles happen. God's will is established in our lives. God's purposes are fulfilled in our lives. Look in the book of Proverbs chapter 23. Look at verses 15 and 16. These are powerful, powerful verses that we all should embrace. My son, if your heart's wise, my heart will rejoice even mine. Yea, my reins shall rejoice when... You do a lot more good works. You go to church more often. Maybe you give to the poor. No, when will his heart, when will his heart rejoice? When your lips speak right things. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said, by your words, you'll be justified or you're going to be condemned. And so he was telling us that words are powerful. His words are spirit and his words are life. He says right here, it's important that we get our lips to start speaking some right things. Because it's easy to speak the wrong thing. Our flesh demands we speak the wrong thing. The negative report demands we speak the wrong thing. Our feelings and emotions demand we speak the wrong thing. But God says, look, this is the truth 
And the truth that I've given you is what you should walk in. So it's up to you to speak the right thing based on the truth of his word, not on our feelings and emotions. That's the warfare between the flesh and the spirit. Look at the requirements that I have listed there for you. First of all, it's up to us to learn the word of God for ourselves. There is no substitute for that. Every single one of us. Years ago when I first came here, someone came up to me and said, Pastor, it's your duty to study the word and teach it to us so that we don't have to. I said, really? Are you a son of God? Uh, yeah. Well, my son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from before your eyes and keep them in the midst of your heart. Then they'll become life to you and hell to all your flesh and protect your heart diligently because out of it come the issue of issues of life. That wasn't written to me. That was written to every one of us. Amen. It's up to us, number one, to study the word of God for ourselves. Number two, in Matthew 15, 8, it's up to us to see to it that the truth of God's word gets into our hearts and our mouths. Matthew 15, 8, look what it says. These people draw out to me with their mouth, but their, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You, do you see those two? They've got to be in sync. And this is the challenge that we all have. Our feelings and emotions are so demanding, they want to stop this from happening in our lives. They want us to continue on saying what they say. Like if your body says you're sick. If your body says you have pain. They want us to agree with that. And line up with that. Our feelings and emotions want to say over and over again. How we feel. But the word of God says by his stripes you were healed. So now we got a warfare going on. God says I'm healed. My body says I have pain. What are we going to do? Which one are we going to believe? We're going back and forth. Remember James says you're vacillating between two opinions. He says you're a double-minded man going back and forth. You're not going to receive anything from the Lord as long as you're a double-minded person. Stick to the truth. What did Hebrews 10, 23 say? Hold fast your confession of faith, not feeling without wavering, because faithful is he that promised. It's up to us to be faithful to the word of God and to what God has done for us in Christ. And we're supposed to cling to that, believe it, and say it, and we're not denying the reality of feelings and emotions. We're denying their right to dominate our lives. Amen. Amen. Number three, speak the truth with confidence. You can't speak it with confidence if you're parroting someone else. Look in 3 John verses 1, only one chapter, verses 2 through 4. Beloved, I wish or I pray above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. Notice it's the prosperity of the soul thinking, our emotions, will, and intellect. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children do what? Walk in truth. Here's the warfare again. We can walk in truth, or we can walk in the reality of our emotional feelings. Now, that's a truth, but it's a lower form of truth. Our emotional feelings are true. We don't deny feelings or emotions or even reports of the world. But we have a higher truth, a higher law. There's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that is to be exalted above the law of sin and death. And so the challenge for us in growing spiritually is that we take these wonderful things in us in Christ Jesus and enable them to become a reality in our lives. That's walking in the truth, experiencing the truth. So what do we do? We hold fast our confession of faith in the midst or in the face of pain. And we say, yes, I know how you feel, but I'm not walking by that. I deny your right to dominate my life. When they told us that Andrew will never suck, swallow, or breathe, when they said he'll be on a feeding tube for the rest of his life, this was after he received his creative miracle of a left pulmonary artery, after the lady that gave us all the information left, we thanked her for her expertise. We should never be rude to people. Please listen carefully. Faith works by love. You walk in love toward all those, especially medical staff that dedicate and devote themselves to the lives that they live and, and really submitting themselves to do what they do. Some working 12 hours a day, some working around the clock, not getting any sleep, but basically laying down their lives to help people like us that are in need. And so we appreciate that. I didn't stand there and look at that woman and just say, oh, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. No. We said to her, thank you. Thank you for your observations. Thank you for what you said. And then she left. And then the party started. 
we said to the Lord, did you hear what they said? Did you hear what she said? He will never suck, swallow, or breathe. We said, Andrew's life is not based on what she said. Andrew's life is based on what we say. And what we say is he will suck, swallow, and breathe. He will have an immune system. He has a left pulmonary artery. He will not die but live. He will declare the works of the Lord. And you should see him eat today. Do you see it's not based on that. It's based on what we believe in the word of God. That's what faith is truly all about. We don't try this. We do our research first. We study it for ourselves. You get to know the truth in your heart because you've done your homework. And then you say, you know what? I'm embracing the truth. Now look at this next one. You ready for it? Refuse to exalt emotional feelings and emotions above God's word. Just refuse that. Why? Look at John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth. When Pilate asked Jesus, what is the truth? He should have stayed for the answer. But he walked away. Jesus said, I came to testify to the truth. And the truth is right here in God's word. And even though my feelings don't align with it. And my emotions don't align with it. I believe the truth of God's word above feelings and emotions. So you see, we have a choice. Every one of us has a choice. We can live by our feelings and emotions and what they dictate to our lives. Or we can choose to say, I'm going to find out what God's word truly says about me. I'm going to put it in my heart and put it in my mouth. And I'm going to say it until it becomes a reality. And I embrace the reality of that truth. Look at Mark 11:23. This will be our closing text. You should know it by heart. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, shall not doubt in his heart, shall not doubt in his heart. Boy, why did he have to put that in there? Would have been nice if he left that part out of it. But shall not doubt in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Jesus taught that verse. This is the law of faith, and this is how it works. And obviously, there's a lot of depth to it. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And when you get that truth, and it becomes a light in your heart and mind, and you speak it out in faith, then the word of God becomes a reality. There was a woman diagnosed with bipolar. But this was after she spent much time listening to the lies of the enemy. As a Christian, she was sexually abused. She felt worthless. She felt as though that her life was meaningless. She did get married. She did have children. And this haunted her for so much of her life that she got to a place that she started cutting herself. She would get a butcher knife. She would cut herself. She said to herself, she said, the feeling, the pain I feel with cutting myself distracts me from the pain I feel inside my heart, my mind, and my life. She was to the point where she was writing out suicide notes. She would be traveling at a distance from her house and she would go to a restaurant where she would sit down, write out these notes and telling her loved ones uh, that she was leaving them and so on and so forth. And this was continuing on. Why? Her feelings and emotions. She felt unloved. She felt unwanted. She felt unprotected, uncared for. And she finds herself in a situation where she believed all this because she felt this way. She felt ugly about herself and so on and so forth. And she embraced it all. So finally, her husband got her to go to see a psychiatrist after the last time because she, she cut herself badly. So she started seeing of the psychiatrist, was a Christian psychiatrist and psychologist and all that. She was officially diagnosed medically as bipolar, just terrible condition that she was in. As far as he was concerned, never, no one ever got healed from this. Suicidal, coupled with it all, that's how bad she was. She finally got a butcher knife out, went to the bathtub, and she cut her arm, and the blood started flowing into the bathtub. When she heard the voice of God say to her, you don't have to do that anymore because my son shed his blood for you. She stopped, listened. You don't have to do that anymore. My son did that for you. His blood was shed for you. She got herself together. A woman from a 
they had a recovery group, contacted her and just said to her, would you like to come? And at first she says, I'm a Christian. I went to church. So we're not saying she wasn't a believer, but she didn't know the truth. She was buying the lie. What happens was this woman couldn't get her to go. Then finally a couple times she went, but she called her on the phone one day and said to her, listen, are you going to believe the doctor's report above the report of God's word that says all things are possible with God? Matthew 19, 26. That said with all thing, with God, all things are possible. Are you going to believe that? Or are you going to believe that Luke 10, 19 says, I gave you power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. She said, when those three verses were spoken to me, listen, this is how this can happen. She took those three verses of scripture, which she never really saw before. You know, you could read scripture, but never see it. We can. She read those three verses of scripture to herself, and she just stood right there and said, that's right, all things are possible. I don't have to accept this any longer. I don't have to believe the lies of the devil. As far as I'm concerned, even though man says it's impossible, I say it's possible. So as far as I'm concerned, I take authority that Jesus gave me over bipolar, over all this, and I call myself delivered. I call myself set free. I am whole. That was the last day she ever suffered. That was the last attack she ever had. From that point on, she went off to Bible school and now she has in her home and and, and she helps other people with a similar situation overcome it. Empowered because she found out the truth. See, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth that you know shall make you free. Amen. Amen. Praise and worship team, come on up here. Glory to God. Remember, no disrespect to any person out there any medical science report because they're all true those are lower realities but there's a higher one that we can live by can you say amen Amen. see medical science said Andrew shouldn't be alive that's why I'm saying he shouldn't be alive but oh every year that goes by we're just so grateful and so thankful that we enjoy his presence here with us so I don't know what you're going through today It may be a difficult, let's say, diagnosis or a situation. Maybe you're going off to school somewhere and maybe you doubt your ability, your intelligence and all that. If you agree with your feelings and emotions, you will energize and activate everything that will go against you. If you'll say, that may be how I feel, but I'm going to exalt the Word of God above how I feel. It will activate and energize everything in you in Christ and put you over the top and make you a success. Can you say amen?